Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Michael Fitzpatrick. My essay this week is entitled, With All Wisdom, and it's based upon the Revised Common Lectionary Readings for January 2nd, 2022, the second Sunday in Christmas. As a philosophy instructor, I often help my students get a grasp of my discipline by appeal to the word's etymological parts. Philo, one of the Greek terms for love, and Sophia, or wisdom. Thinking of philosophy as the love of wisdom is a little less intimidating and easier to remember. Yet several of my students have pointed out that the phrase feels very foreign to them. Besides the act of loving wisdom not being a regular social value, where in society are we really encouraged to have an attitude towards wisdom at all, loving or otherwise? Wisdom is just not something regularly celebrated in privileged Western societies as a basic human good. Skill, expertise, success, high salaries, stock IPOs, these are the human goals we're ticked typically taught to strive for. Even in more thoughtful contexts, the emphasis is more on well-being, such as mindfulness, calm, peacefulness, or detachment. Who today is really telling us that we should pursue wisdom in our lives? Perhaps that is why I love these particular RCL lectionary readings. Taken together, they place Christ and wisdom side by side in such visceral, dramatic ways that enable us moderns to rediscover an ancient tradition of seeing Christ as the incarnation of God's wisdom. I want to draw out three remarkable insights into wisdom we can gain from these readings. Let's begin with our reading from the apocryphal book, The Wisdom of Yeshua and Ben Sirach. Like the book of Proverbs, Sirach imagines the wisdom of the Almighty as a personification of God's being. She is a powerful woman who presents herself before the whole gathering of the Lord's throne room. But unlike all other powers and principalities, she speaks to the heavenly hosts of her own glory. Since only the living God can be worthy of glory, she indisputably presents herself as one with the Creator. She is the word spoken from God's own mouth, verse 3. Her throne is in the highest heavens, verse 4, and she alone contains the highest heights and the deepest depths, verse 5. Establishing her place alongside the Creator, she claims for herself possession of all waters and all lands, all nations and all peoples. Verse 6. After this proclamation of her glory, we learn about wisdom that, and this is the first point, she comes from without. Verses 8 through 12 describe how wisdom settled amongst the people of Israel at the Creator's instruction a people who is God's own portion, the Lord's chosen legacy. Nowhere is it suggested God gifted wisdom to the people of Israel out of merit. They weren't smarter 
or more hardworking or possessing greater virtue than surrounding nations and ethnic communities. Far from it, in fact. But it wouldn't matter even if they had these accolades. Wisdom is not earned. Wisdom is not a product of great learning or exemplar behavior or keeping all the commandments. Wisdom is God's gift that a people is to look for and receive, not aspire to and achieve. The Wisdom of Solomon, another apocryphal book written not by the historical Solomon, but rather by Jewish theologians shortly before the birth of Christ, who wanted to present the Jewish alternative to the wisdom of Greek philosophy. Here, wisdom is astonishingly presented as the very agent of Israel's deliverance during the Exodus. In other words, concerning wisdom, and this is the second point, she is the creating, saving acts of God. It is wisdom who works in Moses to oppose the Pharaoh, who throws up a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, who parts the Red Sea for the people of God but drowns the Egyptian army. Given that in the next breath the text praises the Almighty directly for your defending hand, the equation of wisdom with the deeds of God is undeniable. Wisdom is not located within rational argument or perceptive insight or mindfulness meditation. What is wise simply is what the Lord has done. The Creator is the one who delivers chosen peoples from the hands of the oppressor. The Creator is the saving God. And the means by which the Creator is Savior is through the incarnation of wisdom in the world of the people precious to the Creator. Which leads to the marvelous parallel between these words and St. Paul's letter to the parish in Ephesus. Just as the Holy One chose Israel before the foundation of the world to be the vessel of wisdom, so God chose those already united with Christ before the foundation of the world to be saved through Christ. Christ also comes from without, a gift unearned. Christ must come unearned, since before the foundations of the world, no one was around to merit anything. Christ is presented as the exemplar, saving act of God. Quote, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of grace that Almighty God has lavished on us. End quote. In the next breath, we learn that, with all wisdom, God has sent the Christ in the fullness of time. So we can draw out our third point about wisdom. She is the fullness of God dwelt bodily in Christ Jesus our Lord. This beautiful, beautiful Christ is the living, breathing incarnation of God's wisdom. It is through her that Christ makes possible our adoption into the family of the Creator. It is through her that Christ marks us with the seal of the Holy Spirit. 
It is through her that all things in heaven and in the earth are gathered together into Christ. When we see Christ as the culmination of Israel's history of wisdom incarnate in the world, that she is the word from God's own mouth, who was in the beginning with God and who was God, how much more fitting is the prologue of John's gospel? Of course what has come into being through her was a life that would be a light to all people. Of course wisdom is a light that no darkness can overcome. Wisdom is a true light that enlightens everyone. But wisdom is no abstraction, and in the Hebrew scriptures never was. Wisdom is always the living, breathing essence of God's goodness acting concretely in physical spaces. How fitting that this wisdom would become flesh and live amongst us shining out the glory of the living God as a firstborn son imaged his father in the culture of the ancient Near East. Wisdom is the Almighty come in the flesh, sometimes pitching a tent with the people of God, and in the fullness of time as the Creator's true plenipotentiary in the life of a Jewish peasant. She is Emmanuel, God with us, seen in the very face of the Christ we confess as Lord and Savior. As we celebrate the final few days of Christmastide, let us contemplate how our creating, saving God is calling us forth to be lovers of wisdom. Not some far-off ideal, but the ever-present reality of the divine in the flesh, born in the acts of the Almighty, born of a virgin. Let us pray to throw off the goals of life set by this world and pursue wisdom, our inheritance toward redemption, as God's own people. And finally, may we let wisdom stand in our midst as she does amidst the hosts of heaven and speak to us of her glory. For books this week, Dan reviews The Human Cosmos, Civilization and the Stars by Joe Marchant. The best compliment that I, Dan, can pay to Joe Marchant's sweeping intellectual history is that it's hard to say which of her twelve chapters I enjoyed the most. She begins with the cave art and stone circles from 40,000 years ago, proceeds to the burial chambers in Ireland where roof boxes align perfectly with a shaft of light at sunrise, considers the invention of writing, then moves on to the invention of clocks, the navigation of the seas by early Polynesians, abstract art, and the search for aliens. Are we alone in the universe? Is there other life? Other intelligences? Is there such a thing as consciousness that is distinct from the material world? The unifying theme in these otherwise disparate topics is our contemporary disconnect between the heavens and humanity. For about 20,000 years, humans understood all of life in close connection with the starry heavens above. Over the last 200 years, though, a purely scientific view of nature has objectified and separated us from these celestial connections 
in a broader spiritual outlook on the nature of ultimate reality. Despite the stupendousness, stupendous successes of science, Marchant pushes back on the scientific reductionism, the belief that natural science is the only or best method of reliable knowledge about what is worth knowing. Positivism makes the epistemological claim that science is the only way to know, while materialism makes the ontological claim that the physical world is the only thing there is to know. Scientific facts alone, argues Marchant, are insufficient to address questions of human meaning. She urges us to recover the primacy of subjective personal experience in a world that is obsessed with a merely mathematical understanding of the objective material world. To do this, Marchand explores what she calls 12 moments that tell us something about how people through history have seen the sky in order to ask the big questions about the meaning of our existence, who we are, where we are, and why we're here. Our destiny is written in the stars and in understanding what that means. For films this week, Dan reviews Kiss the Ground 2020. We hear a lot about climate change today, but I don't recall ever hearing anything about the subject of this documentary film. Dirt, soil, earth, the ground. The actor Woody Harrelson narrates this film that features activists, argonomists, climate scientists, celebrities, a couple politicians, and a passionate North Dakota farmer named Gabe Brown on the subject of regenerative agriculture, which the film claims is the first viable solution to our climate crisis. Industrial farming has been characterized by tilling and toxic industrial chemicals, which together have led to massive erosion of topsoil. Think of the Dust Bowl. Regenerative farming represents a simple solution to heal our planet. It is characterized by, one, no tilling, two, a diversity of cover crops, three, permanent trees, and four, composting and mob grazing. Is this truly scalable in a global sense? Gabe Brown says that he is willing to bet his farm against your farm that he can make regenerative farming work anywhere in the world including, to take one inspiring example, a massive tract of desert in China that has been transformed into a lush, green land. We need to save the soil so that the soil will save us. I watched this film on Netflix. And lastly, for poetry the second Sunday in Christmas, a New Year's poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Ring out, wild bells, to the wild sky, the flying cloud, the frosty light. The year is dying in the night. Ring out, wild bells, and let him die. Ring out the old, ring in the new. Ring, happy bells, across the snow. The year is going, let him go. Ring out the false, ring in the true.
Ring out the grief that saps the mind for those that here we see no more. Ring out the feud of rich and poor. Ring in redress to all mankind. Ring out a slowly dying cause and ancient forms of party strife. Ring in the nobler modes of life with sweeter manners, purer laws. Ring out the want, the care, the sin, the faithless coldness of the times. Ring out, ring out my mournful rhymes, but ring the fuller mistral in. Ring out false pride and place and blood, the civic slander and the spite. Ring in the love of truth and right, ring in the common love of good. Ring out old shapes of foul disease, ring out the narrowing lust of gold. Ring out the thousand wars of old, ring in the thousand years of peace. Ring in the valiant man and free, the larger heart, the kindlier hand. Ring out the darkness of the land, ring in the Christ that is to be. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for January 2nd, 2022. I'm Michael Fitzpatrick, and Merry Christmas.